Apostle Paul really grounds um, uh, the instructions that he's giving to the church of Ephesus uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's, he's been saying over and over, and we've been kind of hitting on this theme of uh, living out who we already are, right? We're saints in Christ Jesus. Uh, we're saints only because of the person and work of Christ, not because of anything that we do or don't do. Uh, it's sheer grace. It's a gift from God, and, uh, and we have the capacity by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us uh, to live out these things that the Apostle Paul is commending to us. And what we're going to look at this morning, I think, uh, is really at the is a root issue in regards to the destruction uh, of, of the family unit. When we fall or when we stumble, uh, we don't do that very fa- far. We don't fall or stumble really far. We don't go from honoring the Lord uh, in our marriage to embracing counterfeit perversions of it. Uh, and, um, and we get to this place of, uh, of forsaking God's design, if you will, for marriage in increments. We, we get there from becoming desensitized over a period of time. We get there through a leavening, if you will. And it starts with us, right? It starts in the home of a Christian, whether we realize it or not. Our lack of, of being salt and light in our homes contributes to the breakdown uh, of the family in our culture. It, it starts with uh, a cowardly husband not loving and sacrificing his life for his bride. It starts with an unsubmissive wife who's brought into the relationship this gender confusion by rejecting God's different assigned roles in the marriage relationship and, and trying to take on the role of her husband for various reasons. So this morning, uh, we need help. We need humility, and we need to come to our text this morning as Christians willing to, to submit our pride, as Christians that are willing uh, to submit our thinking and our behavior to the Scripture. And so Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. I'm going to read verses 22 to 33, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to work through as much of this text as we can get through with the time that we have. And so starting with verse 22, the Apostle Paul Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words. He said, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body." Verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Heavenly Father, we confess, Lord, that um, we need your help. 
God, we need uh, your Holy Spirit to grant us eyes to see, Lord, and just an open-handedness, a willingness to submit our lives to the Word. Understanding that your design of things is good for us. It's good for us to submit to your creating of the world and how you say that it functions. And we know this ultimately because you're a good God. You're a kind God that sent Christ to die for us even while we were still sinners. And so, Lord, help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're uh, taking notes, the the first part of what we're going to look at is this issue of of wives and submission. Verses really 22 and 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then on to 24. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh, We could use the phrase there, be, be subject to. That would Uh, probably even capture that passage uh, even better. In verse 22, the word submit is actually not even uh, in the Greek, but it's implied by Paul saying, wives to your own husbands. And in this, it's it's an extension of a a verse that I neglected last week, which was uh, verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5, I think is really setting up the rest um, uh, or a a large chunk of what we're going to be covering in a couple of weeks here. Uh, in regards to relationships. In verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, in, in the book of Ephesians, and we've seen this a lot already, we see this concern that the Apostle Paul has about relationships, right? Again, if we go back to um, this issue of this dividing wall of hostility that uh, Paul speaks of and, and says and reminds the church of Ephesus that, that the biggest dividing wall of hostility was between us and God that's been taken care of through Christ Jesus. How much more then should the dividing wall of hostility be torn down uh, in our relationships with one another? And so we see this concern about relationships and how we should engage with one another uh, in light of the gospel. Okay, And verse 21 really begins to allow us to get into some more particulars, if you will, uh, in regards to relationships. And in light of the gospel of grace, our relationships with one another, they function in a certain way. So in verse 21, Paul calls for submission to one another out of reverence for Christ, or uh, some translations say uh, out of the fear of God. And then he gets to the particulars. And so it says, it's as if the apostle Paul is saying, congregation, we must submit to one another, Wives to husbands, children to parents, and he even calls for submission in this slave and master relationship by reminding both the slave and the master that they have a divine master in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, and and we'll look at that later in the series. But our text this morning speaks of wives submitting or being subject to their husbands, and this language here means actually being under God's arrangement. Being under God's arrangement. For a wife to submit to her husband is, is for a wife to submit to God's arrangement for her. And we get a picture of God's arrangement for her in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You can thumb over there or look up at the screen. It says, The Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay, but before the fall of man, all right, in God's good created order. He saw fit 
to make a compatible or suitable or complementary companion for Adam. And God calls this companion a helper. He calls this companion a helper. And, and this word the Lord uses, it's, it's, it's as far away as it can get from implying any sort of uh, uh, idea that a wife is inferior to a man. And I, I want to show that to you because the scripture uses the same word to, to describe God as he relates to the people of Israel. If, you, if Just a, a, a quick sampling here, Deuteronomy 33, 7. And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring, in, bring him into his people with your hands. Contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. It's the same word there used in Genesis 2 verse 18 to describe the role of the wife, to describe the role of Eve. Or consider David's words here. It says, our soul, this is Psalm uh, 33 here, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. But I'm poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God, you are my help. And my deliverer, O Lord, do not delay. As a woman, women, this should make you jealous for the title of of helper. It's it's a descriptor of God himself. And if it's a descriptor of God himself, it's a very dignified role. Despite the cultural climate that we live in, it's a dignified role because the, the Lord uses it about himself. These writers, these biblical writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit penned these words, and these words aren't just carelessly placed in the Scripture. There's a strategy, there's an intent behind it, and this word helper is used to describe God himself. All right, Our God, who is holy, 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 is a helper. Right? And for you to be a helper to your husband is to image this holy triune God that created you. Right? But, but our culture in, in our own sinful imaginations would, would have us think that, that helper is a degrading and, again, an inferior title. But if, if we hold in our head that, that our God who is our helper is not inferior in any shape, form, or fashion, right? we can realize that even the blasphemous nature of that, how blasphemous it is to think that that word is uh, means inferior, it, or it's, it's a degrading word there. Right? Your God, who is a helper, has designed you to help your husband. And, and the fickle Israel, just as the fickle Israelites right, cried out to the Lord for help, trust me, your fickle husbands need your help, right? So there is this helping role that is needed in the husband and wife relationship. And if, we're to, if, 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 if the Lord here uh, is calling women to obedience in regards to submitting themselves under God's arrangement, God's design, and embrace the role as helper, we need to think through uh, who we're actually submitting to. Who, who are we really submitting to? Because honestly, some of you women may be married to some lazy uh, not God-fearing husbands. You may be in, in some difficult relationships right now. But according to the word, if you were to look down at me, wives are submitting ultimately to the Lord. 
Wives are submitting to the Lord by submitting to their husbands. Our text says, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Right? You're not submitting to somebody else's husband. You're submitting to your husband. But to do so is actual submission, actual worship to Christ Jesus as to the Lord. In other words, your submission, again, is, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. And your submission isn't contingent on the quality of your husband's Christianity. The testimony of Scripture is not wives submit to your husbands if they're worth submitting to. Your obedience doesn't ebb and flow based on the obedience of your husband. You're responsible before God for your own actions. You're responsible before God on whether or not you choose to obey the Scripture. Now, are there exceptions to this? Absolutely. Is there a time when you should not submit? Absolutely. Wives don't submit to their husbands if their husbands ask them to violate Scripture. You don't submit to your husband if your husband asks you to violate Scripture. Look at with me, Acts chapter 5, verse 29. It says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. These can, can be sins of commission, those sins that we know are transgressing uh, the Word of God, and they can be sins of omission, those areas that God's called you to obedience, such as Lord's Day corporate worship or evangelizing your neighbor. When our passage speaks to wives submitting to their husbands and everything, it has in view all of those things that do not violate Scripture. Right? So if the Scripture is violated you don't submit. All right? If Scripture is not violated, according to Ephesians chapter 5, the words of the Apostle Paul, the sweeping narrative of Scripture, again, we, uh, you as women submit. And again, remember, there, there's this posture of worship in this act. Right? Worship requires humility. Worship is God-focused. Worship is service-focused. We don't grumble or become embittered if this is being done in a way that honors the Lord, if this is being as unto the Lord. Now, what are we getting a picture of when a wife embraces her role in this marital relationship? What are we getting a picture of? We're getting a picture of the gospel. We're getting a gospel picture. What the Apostle Paul is saying is women be like the church. Be like the church. Wives, you're to look to the body of Christ for your cue here. The complementary role here for a wife is that she worshipfully submits to the head of her home, the husband, just as the, the church submits to Christ, who's, who's the head of the church. And it is, it's clear in our passage this morning, and it's going to continue to get clear as we work through it, that, that Paul grounds the marital relationship in the gospel by using marriage as a picture of the gospel. Right? I'm going to talk about this in just a minute, but our marriage should be preaching the gospel. It should be a, a tangible, I can, I can put my hands on it picture of, of how a relationship between Christ and the church functions. Right? And so th- th- this means for us that the way that we operate in our marriage as a husband, as a wife, is a practical testimony. We may not say this with our lips, but by our actions, the way that our relationship functions is a testimony of what we practically believe to be true about the gospel. There there are not two heads in the church. There's not two heads in the church. There's one head. It's Christ Jesus. Again, that would be blasphemous. Christ is the head of his bride, the church, and the church lovingly 
and worshipfully responds in submission. And according to the scripture, our messages should herald this by the very nature in which they function. So let's, let's jump back a little bit to verse 23. We need to look at headship because this is, an, this is a, a, a tremendous issue in the church as well. Um, the church in Ephesus and the church today. But verse 23 in regards to husbands and headship says, For the husband, okay, there, there's this submission piece for the wife. And then, and then for the husband, it says the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Again, we, we see this gospel-rich language here, right? And notice, husbands, what Paul does not say here. Paul doesn't say if a husband is more spiritually mature. or he do, And he doesn't say if the husband is a Christian, he's the head of his home. He doesn't say if the husband isn't fulfilling his duties, it's okay for the wife to assume the head of the home. Paul says that the husband is the head, not the body, but the head. And this is a title that as husbands, as men, you can't forsake. And women, if your husbands are disobedient to God in this area, you don't meet, you don't match your husband's disobedience with your own disobedience, which is to take up this, this role of headship. Husbands are responsible before God as the heads of their home. It isn't a matter of whether or not the husband is a head of the home. It's whether or not he's a godly head of the home or not. Is he a godly head of the home? The word savior is used here in verse 23 to, to draw this analogy of Christ's saving relationship with the church. Husbands aren't, aren't saviors in the way that, that Christ is savior, but husbands are to be protectors of their home. They're to lead in a distinctly Christ-like way. And, and to press into this, how did Christ protect? How did Christ lead the church? How did he love the church? And you guys know this if you've been in church for any length of time. We look to Philippians chapter 2. Look with me there. You can turn there. Philippians 2 says, the Apostle Paul, right, he's, he's propping up Christ not just as our Savior, but he's propping up Christ as our example, and, and husbands could take their cue, they could take their instructions from following the example of Christ. Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? Christ was not selfish. He was not selfish. Christ did not have ulterior motives. Christ was not self-consumed. Christ didn't spend... And I think my... Let me see if that, that could have been me. He didn't spend, Christ didn't spend his days just disengaged from his responsibility to the church. Christ was humble. Christ, he lifted others up. He wasn't threatened by them. He wanted what was best for them. In other words, he made decisions that were in their best interest, even when they didn't understand or see that. Christ served. He, he didn't domineer. And his love cost him his life which we'll look at in just a moment. 
So brothers, ask a a God-fearing wife if they would respond well to this type of husband. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. So, so what's the gospel picture? If we have, if we have this gospel picture of, of a, uh, when we see a wife embracing her God-assigned assigned role, uh, and that's the church, this picture of the church, what is it that we get uh, when a husband embraces his God-assigned role? And, and uh, the gospel picture is, is we see Christ. Paul's saying, husbands, be like Christ. Be like Christ in this marital relationship. And certainly all of God's people are to be like Christ, right? But here the Apostle Paul is getting very specific of, of husbands. Look to your husband, which is Christ, who's wedded to the church. Look to him. Look to him. Depend on him. Right? Walk in his precepts. Right? So husbands, be like Christ in your marriage. And, and we're going to drill into the role of, of husband here for the rest of the sermon this morning. But husbands, how you lead your home communicates practically, again, communicates practically what you believe to be true about Christ Jesus. Right? If you're cold, harsh, lazy, unapproachable, unkind, you're sinning against God and you're sinning against wife, your wife and you're communicating to her and to this onlooking, skeptical world that Christ is cold, harsh, lazy, unapproachable, unkind. And, and hear me well, if, if this is the tone of your home, if this is the way in which you treat your wife and thus your family, you're a direct contributor to the degrading of the husband and wife relationship in our society. You're a direct contributor. We can't point the finger at those people out there. Husbands not leading the home contributes directly to the degrading of marriage in our society. It's our fault. It's our fault. And the only way out for men is repentance. It's repentance. In fact, as the head of your home, you're to be the chief repenter of your home. You're to lead your home in submission by your submission to Christ, who's the head of the church. And Paul gets clearer in his demonstrating that marriage here is a picture of the gospel. Look, look more, because if we press into this, this, this uh, following Christ, this submitting to Christ, this, this taking up uh, your role as the head of your home and, and looking your wife and your kids in the eyes and saying, follow me as I follow Christ, what, what does that look like? How does headship function in a way that honors the Lord? I'm going to give you this, 20, verses 25 to 30. Husbands love like Christ, and to love like Christ is death. It's death. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, in the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. There's so much to unpack right there. But, but listen to this quote before we work through this section some. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. 
Right? This quote, I think, captures the tone and the mood of the verses that I just read. Right? Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Not, not love based on your definition of love. Not love based, uh, not, not love that isn't grounded in the word, right? Not love in a way that you see fit. You love as Christ Jesus loved. And, and the love of Christ meant death, right? And as we see in this passage here in Ephesians, and as we saw in Philippians chapter 2, we, we get the benefits of that sacrificial love. We see the benefits clearly. We benefit from that type of love every day as people who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Verse 25 of Ephesians 5 says, Christ gave himself up for the church. Right? You know this. We're reminded of this each and every Lord's Day. Christ both in word and deed, husbands, Christ both in word and deed defines how you're to love your wife. Right? Christ loved in a way that led to death. And so my question is, are you dying? Are you dying? Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Or even more bluntly put in John's gospel, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. All right. How can we lose our life for the Lord so that we may love our wives well? How can we lose our life for the Lord so that we can love our wives well? And I, and I just want to give you a couple of things. First, we need to be communing with God. As husbands, we need to be communing with God. Our wives need to have confidence that we are communing with God. We're reading his word. We're speaking to him through the means of prayer. We're declaring our dependency on him because to be a godly husband is to be a God-needing husband, right? It's not something that we can do in our own strength. We'll look at this later in Ephesians chapter 6 when the apostle Paul tells the church of Ephesus to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Not yourself strong, but to be strong in God's strength. To be a God-fearing, loving head of your home is, is to be this God-needing husband. Lead your family in worship. All right, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but men, you should lead your homes to worship God both privately and publicly. There should be this private dedication to leading your home in worship. There should be this public dedication, uh, corporate, if you will, what you're doing here this morning with your family. This should be happening. Your kids should see it. They should know that this is how to be, whatever your last name is, to be in this family means that we do these things. We're worshiping the Lord. We're going to spend some time in Deuteronomy chapter 6 here at the end of August, but Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And get this, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And verses 4 to 9. So we need to be communing with God daily, reading his word, speaking to him, declaring dependency. And we should be leading our family in worship, both privately and corporately. 
as we see in Deuteronomy 6 there. And husbands, work to provide. You should be working to provide for your home. Right? 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a scary passage. Right? You should be communing with God. You should be leading your family in worship. You should be working to pr- provide. Right? Go to bed tired. Wake up. Do it again. Trust that as you're doing that, that God's kingdom is coming and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. This is your assignment by God. This is your primary assignment by God. And this type of love, this is the way in which we're called to love. And this type of love reflects Christ and Christ's love for his body, the bride, which, which made her holy. Verses 26 to 27 of our passage there. And again, we don't make our wives holy in the way that Christ made his church holy, but the way in which we love our wives, it should make them desire to grow in Christ-likeness. It should make them desire to grow in Christ-likeness. It shouldn't provoke them to draw, or it should provoke them to draw near to God because the love that you exhibit toward them is attractive and it's holy. So in light of our text, in light of what we've been discussing, a few questions for the husbands this morning. Are you nurturing Husbands, are you nurturing your wives in the gospel? Are you nurturing them in the gospel? Are you nurturing your children in the gospel for those of you with children? You have a responsibility before God to provide opportunities for your wife to grow in her faith. Are you leading your family in worship? Is the head of your home, are you leading your family in worship? Are you doing things that disciple your wife? Are you praying for her? Are you praying with her? Is the tone of your home grounded in the gospel. Uh, Braden and I had a conversation with some dear friends of ours recently whose son just confessed to them uh, something going on in his life, um, and uh, he's a teenager. And, he, uh, and we just talked about the, the, the tone, how the tone of the home has made it so that this teenager felt safe confessing what he's struggling with with his parents. And his parents were able to meet that with the gospel of grace. Like, our husbands, are you creating an environment where, pe- where the members of your household can confess their struggles, confess their sins safely, knowing that in Christ you warmly embrace them? Do you open the scripture and read it in your home? Do you speak to God in your home? Do you speak about God to your family in your home? It's the man's responsibility to set the spiritual thermometer of the house. So men, Christ loved sacrificially those that hated him. Christ loved sacrificially his bride, his church. Again, we've seen that we were by nature children of wrath. And God in his love and his kindness sent Christ who loved us well, who loved people that hated him. So how much more can we love our wives who do not hate us? We love our wives like we love our own bodies, the passage here is saying. This, is, this isn't a command from Paul to, to some sort of Oprah self-love. You've got to love your, yourself before you can love somebody else type of thinking. This is this one flesh union here toward the end of the passage that Paul's pressing into. This gospel picture that Paul keeps bringing us back to in this passage. The, the head of the home, the husband, should love his body 
the wife is what we're seeing here. Just as Christ the head loved and loves his body, the church. The focus, again, is that a husband should exhibit the love of Christ toward, uh, the, the love that Christ exhibited toward the church. And, and the church never once said to Christ, love me. Right? The church never once said, stop being neglectful or harsh. Jesus loved, Jesus nurtured, Jesus cared, Jesus sacrificed, Jesus sought out. And as husbands, we're to exemplify this, and our wives will respond because it's how God has ordered this world. So our marriage is ultimately about the gospel. It's ultimately about the gospel. From the beginning, um, from the very beginning, our, our marriage preaches the gospel. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul gives some commentary. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Right? In verse 31, Paul's quoting, he takes us back to Genesis 2, uh, verse 24, and this one flesh language comes to the forefront, and, it's, and he gives us some commentary. He takes the Old Testament here, and he interprets it in light of the New Testament. He interprets it in light of the finished work of Christ Jesus. This mystery of marriage established before the fall of man preaches the union that Christ shares with his church that was made possible by his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And it's being applied, those actions are applied by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And here we're seeing this, this a husband and a wife are one flesh, right? And we're seeing that that reflects, that should draw our thoughts, our attention to Christ's relationship with the church, right? One flesh, one never becomes two, right? It's the most intimate earthly relationship we're ever going to have it's only it's the only picture of the union that we share with our husband Christ. We have Christ. All that Christ possesses is ours because we enjoy as his church, as his bride, this one flesh union. And as a husband and wife in Christ, we live our marriages in light of that. No separate bank accounts, no hidden agendas. No secrets, no adultery, no divorce. Two people living before the face of God, this one flesh union, because they enjoy a one flesh union with their Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how you've ordered your world. And God, we confess that the way you've ordered your world is not the way that we would have ordered the world. And that's because, Lord, that... Um, you are holy and we're not. You're good and we're not. And so we thank you that we don't have to guess at how you've ordered your world and how you've called us to live in light of the gospel because you spoke and your words were written down, documented, they've been kept pure. And Lord, we can have confidence that when we read them, Lord, that we're hearing your voice. So help us, God, to submit our lives to your word for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the portion of our service where we... Um